everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It is Monday morning. That means we are back with another CIO strategy snapshot. And we're glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, uh, Jason, welcome back. Great to be with you as always. Hope you had a nice weekend and looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Danny. It's good to be here. So, uh, Jason, when you think about the recent environment we've been living through over the past four weeks, a variety of risk considerations, they've contributed to investor unease and the market volatility over the past month, uh, though the Fed in particular and its policy course for 2022, that seems to be yielding the greatest sense of investor confusion, concern. Now, following last week's Fed statement and the press conference which followed, maybe we received a bit more clarity on what the Fed's intentions are for 2022. So what do we know today about the Fed's policy intentions, Jason, and what are CIO's expectations? Well, relative to prior to the the FOMC last week, I'd say we incrementally know that the Fed clearly wants to move pretty fast and pretty aggressive, and it realizes it's behind the curve in terms of stopping you know QE but also like you know raising rates and withdrawing accommodation uh and so we continue the market's been sort of pulling forward the timing of hikes but also the magnitude of, of hikes so as of now the market is pricing almost five full hikes this year uh which if you go back a few months ago like it was barely you know you know even two uh back like last November or so just two months ago so a pretty big change there I think the, the consensus among different economists, investors, is that or is around that five, you know, four to five, five hike range. I think it's maybe skewed more to the upside in terms of there are some people who think it could be as many as seven, like one per meeting, versus I think there's not that many people who still think it's only going to be you know two or, two or three, given how aggressive the Fed language has been thus far. Uh, I think what's also clear is the Fed, you know, may front load some of the hiking. So I think a hike in March is you know, very, very likely something I think significant would have to happen to the economy for them to to not hike. Uh, it's likely to be 25 basis points, although I think we can't rule out 50 basis points based on the fact that Jay Powell did not rule out a 50 basis point hike. Uh, you know, we think it's like kind of essentially quarterly, you know, March, June, September, December. But if we get, you know, five, I think it's, it's likely to be that they'll do you know, March 1, early in May, then in June, and even maybe in, in May announce they'll start like quantitative tightening, which means reducing their balance sheet. That'll take effect, you know, kind of by the end of uh, end of June or definitely beginning of early July. So they kind of get their, their tightening underway in the first half. I think then once they get into the second half, they'll assess the impact. You know, they'll have more data on how inflation is evolving, if it's moderating and just by how much. They'll see the impact of supply chains and whether that's improving and they'll understand how, some of their actions at that point in time, it's impacting financial conditions and therefore how much that might uh, risk slowing down growth. So it's quite possible that they kind of go fast and aggressive, but then start to moderate their pace once we get into the second half, moving back to say like a quarterly hike, uh, as opposed to a continued hike at every single meeting. Um, in a way, also the rhetoric that's coming out of the Fed right now, they're trying to kind of job on the markets because they aren't actually hiking rates yet, but to kind of get the market prepared for it. So it's almost like the language right now is peak hawkishness. And we, they might get a more balanced and sort of nuanced tone as we move into the middle of the year in the second half, because they've already kind of gone off liftoff. They can feel a little more comfortable about their position, uh, and they may not have to sound quite as aggressive at that point in time. But that's kind of you know where you know the market is pricing. It's also sort of what we think is is reasonable to expect at this point in time. It's somewhere in the four to five hike range. So, Jason, you have to wonder if markets, if they're more focused on monetary policy or 
the health and growth prospects for the economy, the U.S. economy. It's interesting, you, you recently published a blog of Fed versus Fundamentals, which, by the way, for our listeners, our clients, the blog is now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Though within that blog, Jason, you make the case that economic fundamentals, even more than the Fed, that's what will matter for markets in 2022. So why is that? Well, so the market is already anticipating the Fed to be you know, fairly aggressive. They've kind of laid out what they want to do. The market's pricing for that action in terms of you know future rate hikes and even like the tenure and other you know other markets, other parts of the rates market are kind of pricing in that outlook. Uh, and so it doesn't mean the Fed isn't obviously very important. But the Fed is also basically saying, like, once we kind of do liftoff, then we become much more kind of outcome dependent. We'll assess the data as we progress throughout the year. So we'll see how good are our fundamentals, how good are we you know how good is growth. Do we see labor market participation increasing? Is inflation moderating as we expected you know, by the end of the year? So it becomes very dependent on these economic fundamentals. It's also the case that the uh, you know rather than sort of reducing volatility in the marketplace as the Fed has done in the past by always just sort of stepping in anytime there's a bit of a kind of hiccup in in growth or risk to the growth on the downside or even to see equity markets sort of wobbling they're not willing to do that right now they've kind of stepped you know their put in terms of supporting the market is is you know you know off the table at the moment which means the market in some ways was the, is the Fed sort of embarks on this path much more dependent to the economic data so if things are good I think equity markets will rally based on that. If they end up being disappointed, knowing the Fed's going to continue to move forward, that's also creates a bit of a challenge. Uh, so I think it's, you know, we're sort of more beholden to the actual data, how it evolves, maybe more so than it's been before, because in the past, even if the data wasn't good, there was this mantra that, you know, bad news is good news because it means more Fed policy. Well, now bad news is bad news and good news is good news. I think that's kind of where the fundamental story matters more. And then just thinking about the overall, you know, you know market performance across different asset classes, we know that the Fed, when they, you know, Ease policy, they provide a lot of accommodation. It's kind of the rising tide that's all boats. All asset classes tend to perform well, whereas on the flip side, when they're sort of withdrawing accommodation, you can see everything sort of you know, pull back you know, to varying degrees. So that's true. Like the Fed's almost kind of lifting up and down sort of the, the level of returns, but the relative distribution sometimes can depend more on the economic fundamentals between different sectors, between different regions for equity markets. And things of that sort. So I think that's also a key factor when it comes to asset allocation. The fundamental sort of will really kind of you know, drive the relative performance as much as the absolute performance. So unlike the past, where just kind of you know don't fight the Fed. Now I think we have to pay more attention, and, and the market will you know be more susceptible to the economic data as it comes in. So Jason, if then economic fundamentals, if they're so important, if they matter more to the market, has CIO at all had to revisit or rethink its outlook for growth over the course of twenty? Well, thus far, we haven't made any changes on those. I mean, some very small changes in terms of the potential level of GDP growth this year, just because we are starting the year with the Omicron variant clearly impacting some of the economic activity and data. So that will sort of bring down the growth just because it's a, you know, sort of a slightly lower level. But the overall trend direction of you know, U.S. growth and global growth being above long-term trend, that hasn't really changed. We knew at the start of the year because of Omicron that the data would get worse before it gets better. Uh, and we've seen that from a variety of different ways. You know, for instance, uh, you know, the Atlanta Fed has a GDP tracking estimate. For the fourth quarter, for a while, it was at 6%, rose up to 9% by the beginning of December. Then as some of the data came in from the Omicron implications, it dropped down ultimately in the 6% range, and that's where GDP kind of resided. Now, the first measure or estimate of the Q1 GDP came out uh, from the Atlanta Fed just late last week, and that's 0.1%. Uh, so it tells you clear drop-off. But that's likely to increase as we move throughout the quarter because 
we can see economic data, like services spending, people's willingness to go out. It's very sensitive to Omicron cases. And in the parts of the country where the wave is declining, like such as the Northeast, we're seeing an increase in spending behavior. Other parts of the country where Omicron is still high, we're seeing kind of a more still slowdown or certainly not the same kind of pickup. Uh, you know, when we look at the economic data that's come in thus far, things like, you know, retail sales have been far short of expectations, at least relative to where it was trending in the in the, in the fourth quarter. We also saw in the fourth quarter GDP report that a big increase in inventories. Some people might look at this, you know, the bearish people might look at that and say, uh, demand is declining, you're building up excess kind of, you know, stocks. That's a sign of kind of really slowing growth. A more optimistic interpretation might be that, like, this is Omicron-induced. Let's not read too much into it. It's also actually good because demand is kind of moderate in a bit. Supplies get to kind of be rebuilt. That ultimately will leave some of the inflation pressures because now supply and demand are just, you know, imbalanced. So I think we would sort of more fall in that camp. And the data sort of thus far playing out as we would have anticipated at the start of the year. It hit early, a bit of a reacceleration later on, and nothing that we've seen from the data would suggest that's not, still not kind of an appropriate view of how things will evolve this year. You mentioned the word optimistic just there a moment ago. Is there a bull case scenario where we could see greater than expected upside by the end of the year? And with respect to risks, aside from a Fed policy era of over-tightening, which is a key risk, are there other risks that might result in periods of market volatility? Well, in terms of the you know, the bull case, I think it's, it's pretty simple that inflation moderates you know, pretty quickly. That allows the Fed to slow the pace of hikes by the end of the year. And even it's kind of passed for 2023 kind of comes down. So you get in a situation where inflation moderates, probably also because supply chains improve. So that's so positive for growth. So you see growth hold up maybe even better than expected. Inflation moderates. The Fed is a little more culminative. Uh, that's a pretty good environment for risk assets to do well. And the one that right now the markets aren't sort of anticipating. So that's basically the, the bull case. In terms of other risks that could negative impact the markets, aside from the Fed, you know there are you know, geopolitical issues uh, right now with Ukraine and Russia, but it could also you know, be going on with, with China. Um, those are always kind of a potential disruption to growth. Normally, something like the Ukraine situation wouldn't matter, except you know if it causes any disruption to you know oil supplies, that matters because there's little spare capacity, uh, there's not a lot of inventory, demand is growing. So if if there is sort of some sort of disruption, oil prices could easily shoot over. $100. And once we get into that level, then you know, it really starts to impinge on consumers. It hurts demand elsewhere. And typically, we, that's when we see kind of growth start to slow more significantly. So that's where that kind of you know, plays out. For China, it's not so much kind of U.S.-China tensions per se, but you know, China's kind of willingness to persist with a zero-tolerance COVID policy means that they might kind of lock down you know, more than is necessary or certainly more than Western countries are doing. That could disrupt supply chains in a way that, given supply problems, there's not a lot of margin for error there. So that could be another kind of risk that materializes. Thus far, we've seen this year, you know, even though there's been rising case counts, it hasn't really materially impacted in any notable way. So the supply side of factories reports. So, so far, it's so good. But I think that kind of remains a risk in the background. Um, so I think those are the two biggest factors. So there's some unknowns that still persist to include just the amount of, you know, kind of labor supply that exists and maybe wage pressures ramp up even more than we expected. And that's going to force the Fed to be on the more aggressive side. So hiking something along the lines of, you know, seven times this year and, and more next year. Well, we think the markets and the economy can handle four to five. You know, when you get to start the seven or more hikes and perhaps like up to 10 by the middle of next year, that starts to move into territory where, um, you know, policy becomes restrictive. Not because it's a policy error per se, but the Fed intention wants to kind of cool the economy. 
So those are you know, some of the risks that I would say that can lead us to the downside at this point in time. Okay, so with this all in mind, the key question becomes, well, how do I position accordingly? Perhaps this is a good place to end on. So Jason, as we think about how to position portfolios in anticipation of rising rates, the resumption of the equity rally, of course, we're mindful of the risks that you just outlined for us. What kind of allocation approach is CIO currently recommending? Well, we started the year with a, I'd say like a risk on kind of, you know, positioning in terms of preferring equities versus fixed income within equities, favoring you know, value stocks, a little more cyclical, you know, parts of developed markets such as, you know, the Eurozone uh, and Japan. Uh, so we still like that. And then given the pullback we've seen in equities, you know, kind of globally, you know, led by the U.S. down you know, 7% with the S&P of 100. And if the macro environment hasn't really changed that much, I think the risk reward skew now looks a little more attractive actually today than did, you know, uh, at the start of the year. And this is based on like a six to nine month view. This is not over the next year, you know, a couple of months where there could be a lot of volatility. So that seems general sort of recommendation you know, continues to be the case. Uh, I'd say where we've made some you know, recent changes with our husky update is, you know, Japan from an, emerge, from an equity perspective was the most preferred region. You know, we've kind of dialed that back given some relative underperformance, but continue to like the Eurozone outside of the U.S. Uh, European equities outperformed the U.S. thus far this year by a, you know, a few percentage points, you know, still down, but done better. Uh, and when we look at the you know European markets and the economy, you know we're seeing kind of gross surprise to the upside there versus to the downside here in the U.S. The ECB is still very accommodative, uh, unlike the Fed that's looking to tighten, and they're actually getting more fiscal stimulus this year versus the U.S. So the macro backdrop looks attractive in the eurozone. So that's one way we like it. Uh, within the U.S., we still like sectors such as financials, energy that are kind of tied to kind of the global growth cycle. Also, even a bit of a hedge if oil prices keep rising and interest rates keep rising for energy and financials, respectively. Uh, so that's kind of broadly speaking how we position. You know, we do think rates are going to go higher. So you don't want to have too much exposure to kind of longer duration, you know, fixed income securities and even equities, which is why tech is kind of selling off. Uh, so we tend to think like things that have a little more kind of shorter interest rates. And as rates have moving higher, especially at the front of the curve, now you're actually getting a little bit of income and yield there. So that's another reason why to maybe kind of shift more on the shorter end versus the longer end of, of you know, the fixed income landscape. Another thing is, is to think about maybe taking advantage of volatility that's in the marketplace rather than being sort of defensive and thinking to de-risk, actually realizing that the fundamental story probably hasn't changed, which means the sell-off, sometimes you get the, you know, everything gets indiscriminately sold off. It creates opportunities. So even within the growth and tech space, there's probably some selective opportunities to buy, not broadly speaking, but there's areas that we like that are tied to some of our long-term themes, like you know the ABCs of tech in terms of artificial intelligence, big data, and cybersecurity. Uh, it's also, even though it's January, you know, never too early to think about tax loss harvesting. Um, so stuff that's sold off here, the chance to kind of lock in some of those losses and then rebuy it at you know more attractive points. So that's another thing just from a portfolio um, kind of construction perspective to think about you know, taking advantage of the, these pullbacks to lock in some, some losses to move forward. So those are a few ideas that we're recommending, broadly speaking, in terms of in the marketplace, but also what you should be doing with your portfolio as well. Jason, thank you for dropping by top of the morning this morning to share with us CIO's latest market macro insights, views on asset allocation, and to your latter point, certainly a lot of conversations our clients can have with their financial advisors. So very helpful way to begin the week. I know as the week progresses on Thursday, we can look forward to the next How Should I Be Positioned podcast, uh, where you will be joined by Christina Hooper of Invesco. So more to come there, more to look forward to. Uh, But thank you again for your time today, Jason. Appreciate it as always. You're welcome. Have a good week. 
Likewise, thank you, Jason. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including two pieces that tie right into the conversation I just had with Jason, uh, the first being Jason Dreho's most recent blog. The title is Fed versus Fundamentals, as well as the February UBS House View Investment Strategy Guide. A title is Approaching Reentry. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor to learn more or to receive copies of these resources directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.